Welcome to Are You Quizzing Me? I'm Vineet Nair with my co-host Aditya Kashyap. This is a quizzing trivia podcast show. Join us as we dive deep into history, science, sport, pop culture and so much more. Let's get quizzing. And we are back for episode number 45 of Are You Quizzing Me? Your favorite quizzing trivia podcast show with your hosts Aditya and I, Vineet. As usual, with our new format, let's start off with an audience question. And the audience question for today is, Geosmin is an organic compound that gives beetroots its taste. It's also accountable for something people would experience most frequently during the first few weeks of the monsoon. What else, apart from the taste of beetroots, is Geosmin accountable for? I will reveal the answer to this question at the end of today's episode. And now, the time that we have all that we all wait for at in every episode, Aditya's magical question. So, Aditya, what is your question that you had asked at the end of last week's episode, to which you will now make up an answer for? Vineet, I do not appreciate the insinuation that my answers are not somehow linked to facts even though that is a fact that they are not i just i don't i dislike the <laughs> assertion of it. having said that the question last week was about the origins of the word oreo the biscuit yes. oreo and uh, i countered your question with my own question of why is that origin that you mentioned not the right origin and the actual origin is an indian language origin and here is the answer for the word Oreo and how it is related to an Indian language. In this case, Rajasthani. You know, there was once a hot uh, summer's day in Jaipur and there was a young child who had recently acquired a biscuit and was looking forward to consuming it, except that in some part of the day-to-day activity, he lost track of where he kept his biscuit and he was very flustered. So after trying to search for it for quite a while, he goes up to his mother and he says, Mara biscuit kathe gayo? And his mother says, Oreo! And that is how the biscuit Oreo was named beneath. <laughs> I am, I bow down to your genius because that literally <laughs> was a genius. I had no idea how you were going to wriggle out of you know, how to make Oreo from an Indian language, but you have done it. And with a story and character work along with it. Take a bow, oh, Aditya. I shall. <laughs> I mean, like, it, it's 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 a fate that right now, and we are recording this at, I think, a good one fifteen or 2 o'clock, something at night. Aditya looks like a mad scientist after a long day at, the, at his laboratory trying to take over the world. And he's come up with a genius answer. So... <laughs> Hats off to you. <laughs> I really like that, by the way. I slowly take over the world with bad puns. That is the long-term <laughs> goal of this podcast. Okay, nice, nice. So after that brilliant answer by Aditya, let me start off with a brilliant question sent in by one of our listeners. So the listener who has sent it in is Dr. Praveen from Kotim. And his question goes as follows. Ignac Semmelweis was born in 1818 and completed medicine in 1844. 
He then joined in obstetrics and gynecology at Vienna General Hospital in 1845. He was shocked to find that the mortality in the clinic where doctors undertook the delivery was much higher compared to the rates in clinics where midwives and nurses undertook delivery. He proposed a theory as to the cause of this high mortality rate, which was almost universally rejected. He was dismissed from the hospital for political reasons and harassed by the medical community in Vienna, being eventually forced to move to Budapest. Semmelweis was outraged by the indifference of the medical profession and began writing open and increasingly angry letters to prominent European obstetricians. His contemporaries, and including his wife, believed he was losing his mind and in 1865, nearly 20 years after his breakthrough theory, he was committed to the, and I'm going to butcher this pronunciation, Landesseranastalt Dobling, which was a provincial lunatic asylum. He died there of septic shock only 14 days later, possibly as a result of being severely beaten by guards. What was Semmelweis's unbelievable hypothesis, at least unbelievable to the physicians of that time? This is a great question. And... Uh... It just so happens that I encountered this fact many years ago when I <laughs> bought a book. I don't know if you had this growing up, but we used to have scholastic book uh, yes, fairs scholastics. in our schools. In one of those school fairs, I bought this book which said Accidental Discoveries of Humankind. So this is considered one of those accidental discoveries because he accidentally chanced upon this fact and he made an assertion from it. And I believe the answer is just antiseptic procedures to be followed before deliveries. The midwives would wash their hands, whereas the doctors would not wash their hands, which would uh, yes. lead to... I was fairly sure you would guess this question because you had guessed this as one of the answers for a, a previous question in a previous episode. So I was fairly sure he knows this. He knows this fact, but it's a very beautifully framed question by Dr. Praveen. And I, I just had to ask it. So, yes, you're right. He is. You, uh, it is about basic antiseptic procedures. And it was as simple as hand washing. It was as simple as that. So. According to Semmelweis's hypothesis, he hypothesized that doctors needed to clean their hands with lime before undertaking delivery as they were coming after the dissections of cadavers. Right. According to his hypothesis, ah. there was only one cause and all that mattered was cleanliness. And this was an extreme thought at the time and was ignored, rejected or ridiculed. All the uh, you know, right. horrible things that happened to him happened, as I mentioned. And his practice of hand washing earned widespread acceptance only years after his death when Louis Pasteur developed the germ theory of disease that disease is caused by microscopic organisms, the germs, and mm. uh, offering a theoretical explanation for Semmelweis's findings. And because of this, he Semmelweis is now today considered a pioneer of antiseptic procedures and is also known as the savior of mothers. Ah, I, yeah, that's that's a phrase that rings a bell because I remember reading something like that. Very yeah. cool. So thank you, Dr. Praveen from Cortium. It's a brilliant question. He himself, I believe, is a doctor of community medicine, of preventive and social medicine. So uh, this would be a topic dear to his heart. Thank you for the question. And uh, I pass the baton now to Aditya. I do have an audience question to ask. Uh, but before I do, 
your question reminded me of a piece of trivia so i'm going to ask you that first so as you mentioned uh, this particular hungarian doctor was it uh, he was from vienna austrian doctor sorry okay so the austrian doctor that you mentioned it was recognized much later and you mentioned the name louis pasteur which is of course remembered today as pasteurization um, of milk, in the context yes. of milk specifically Uh, there is another very famous doctor associated with this particular field and this was in the field of surgery this doctor is a british surgeon actually and he was a surgeon okay. a medical scientist a pathologist and a pioneer of antiseptic surgery and preventative okay. medicine okay i see you smiling i feel like you already know the answer no no no, no 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 i i because it just suddenly hit me that when you said pathologist if i don't get this na it's going to be really horrible <laughs> oh yes vinith uh, your reputation is on the line <laughs> okay this particular doctor he was active in the late 19th century and he passed away in 1912 and uh, he basically is credited with having done a lot for the field of surgery especially in the space of antiseptic surgery and practices his name is immortalized today just like louis pasteur's immortalizes pasteurization can you take a guess without me giving any more hints this is pretty vague at this point Phew. but can you okay. take a guess as to i think i know this this is joseph lister and his immortalized in listerine which is a mouthwash basically oh there, there can be no questions raised as to vinith's <laughs> credibility <laughs> as a pathologist <laughs> that was a very quick crack yes this is joseph lister as i mentioned a british surgeon who pretty much pioneered a lot in the space of surgery and antiseptic surgery specifically and uh, when in i believe 1869 when um, 1879 apologies 1879 when listerine antiseptic was invented uh, the american inventor joseph lawrence decided to name it listerine to honor joseph lister that's why we get the name nice nice i can just say i'm very relieved that i got that one <laughs> <laughs> So I'll ask you another question, completely different from what we've been talking about in medicine and whatnot. So, you know about uh, area phone codes in the US, right? So if you ever watched a movie, they always start with five five five, right? It's one of those codes. So they don't want to use actual telephone numbers. So for from time immemorial, Hollywood has used five 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 as the uh, area code in any phone number that you see on in your movies from Hollywood. this is something right. related to phone codes i was just giving that as an introduction originally the area phone code 321 was meant for suburban chicago however after a successful petition by robert osband brevard county got the area code of 321 why was this area code given to brevard county so there was a petition and uh... the petition was successful and they got the area code 321 yes 321 was meant for a suburban chicago and after a successful petition it got shifted to brevard county i don't have any context but 321 makes me feel like did it have anything to do with the race 
starting or with the launch of a rocket or something okay you're very warm okay so why uh, why would it why would it have been given to brevard county i'm assuming there's a famous countdown that happened there and the only thing i can think of is something to do with apollo space missions or space missions yes so what place i'm trying to remember so the what... name of that that famous <laughs> point launch point that a lot of these rockets were yes 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 from. so you've got uh... the basic quizzing funda to put it in indian terms but i was just looking to see if you can identify the n- name of the place uh, from which these rockets are launched i want to say i'm again and again bikini at all is coming to mind and i know that's not the right answer but that has to do with the atom bomb the nuclear um, tests the nuclear test yes is it the kennedy space launch the kennedy space center is where <laughs> again i'm looking for the uh, name of the geographical name of the place and, uh, Again now I'm thinking of Men in Black because there is a scene in Men in Black when they are there. <laughs> yes in Men in Black 3. Yes, you're right. Wow, I can only think of pop culture reference. I can't think of actual place. <laughs> so the name you're looking for was Cape Canaveral. Cape Canaveral of course. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> so just to wrap it up for you, the area code 321 was originally meant for Chicago, but after Robert Osborne successfully raised a petition, it was moved to Brevard County. in florida because brevard county is home to cape canaveral and the kennedy space center and the committee agreed that robert osborne's argument that the area code 321 which would signify a lift off was more suited for brevard county than somewhere in chicago so hit me with your question so now we go to the audience question that was proposed by mr rupesh he posed a question oh, a couple okay. of weeks ago and he has decided to send us another question so thank nice, you rupesh nice. i think last time you pointed out how i promised you a verbatim question and i didn't ask it verbatim <laughs> so before i even before i even ask the question i want to point out that rupesh in his uh, email said just want to add a note saying it doesn't have to be verbatim if you guys like it you can drop <laughs> it up and up and ask me like you feel so um Rupesh definitely yeah. took your feedback very seriously. Said, uh, I promised a verbatim question and I didn't ask. So, uh, Rupesh, let me clarify. This was no reflection on your question. I blame Aditya completely for oh, his false entirely, promises. Entirely, entirely. I I take all take all the fault here. Rupesh's question was very well phrased, both previously yeah. and this time around. Okay, which brings us to the question. And since you spoke of a historical event happening at Cape Canaveral. history is a good uh, segue into rupesh's question so rosalind miles is an author have you heard of rosalind miles vineet um name rings a bell but no okay um, i i wouldn't be able to commit to anything with just the name well a fairly prolific english author so maybe you have at least heard of her if not read her books is an english author okay. historian university lecturer broadcaster journalist and an activist who has written 23 works of fiction and non-fiction okay dr miles's international best selling book x charts the untold history of women now the title of x is in the form of a question itself the reason that rosalind miles chose this particular title in her own words was because 
She says that women have been left out of history all along. And X, okay. the question itself, is an interesting way to frame that because if the answer to X was a man, everybody would know the answer to X. But because it was probably a woman, nobody really knows what the answer to X is or that's not a settled question. Do you want to take a guess? And I will give you more hints as we go forward. But do you want to take a guess as to what X could be? Absolutely no. I have no clue. I'm Okay, so this is a book about basically the unsung heroines, you're saying, of history, right? Yeah. And the title of the book is a question. Yes. Uh, who was the first queen? Um, no, that's just silly. No, I don't know. You'll have to give me a clue. You'll have to give me some kind of clue. All right. So you have gotten the gist of what the question is. Let us now try to narrow it down, right? This question okay. pertains specifically to the Judeo-Christian religion, Christianity specifically, and uh, points out a very specific point in the history of, I guess, the New Testament, a significant event that happened there. And it poses the question, uh, who was responsible? And I put responsible in quotes there when I say it. Who was responsible for that event or who was the one who facilitated that event? In a way, you could phrase it. And that is, is it something like is. regarding uh, Mary Magdalene or who married Jesus or something? I don't know. Because so uh, actually, when you say the New Testament and unsung women from that, the classical figure from that would be Mary Magdalene, made famous through, you know, holy blood and Dan Brown. And fantastic guess over there. But let me actually try to be a bit more specific about what the question is, uh, what the trivia is over here. The trivia is the okay. fact that this question itself, X, which is in the form of a question, right? Hmm. A who question. It's a who question. And the answer to X, if it had been a man, that man would be very famous. And because it was probably a woman, we today don't know who that person is or the answer to that question is. So I'm asking so you're saying you not it's, it's who a... the person is. I'm not asking okay. who the person is. I'm asking you what the question is, which is the title of... And it's a who question, Rogers as in who something, something something. Yeah. You said New Testament and uh, something that's pivotal event in the New Testament, right? Yes. Is it the wedding at Kana? No. Okay. I mean, like, so I'm just trying to get the event. So then it might become it's a New Testament. There's so many. Agreed. There are too many over there. So let me give you one more yeah. hint on top of it. Something which okay. is immortalized in art. And I mean, visual art. Aditya, you do realize that there half of Renaissance art was based off the Bible and the remaining half was based off uh, Greek and Roman legends. I'd argue that if you were to name three pieces of artwork from the Renaissance period, which had to do with the New Testament, this would feature in the top three. Okay. New Testament. It rules out Michelangelo Sistine Chapel. The Pieta. The statue of the Pieta. The Last Supper. Yeah, yeah, yeah before you go any further, Last Supper is the event in question. Now, can you just give me what okay. the 
X is what X is. <laughs> I, I, I'm reminded of the last episode you told me. Thank you for uh, taking me by hand towards the answer. This is exactly what I feel like right now. You're like pushing me, you know, step by step towards the answer. Okay, uh, so this is the last supper. So who yeah. something something at the last supper? Yeah. And it has to do with women. But there are no women on the last supper. Uh, who remember I used the words very specifically who created or who facilitated or who made something happen was how I prompted you towards the question X. So who dash the last supper? Who dashed the last supper? <laughs> who catered the last supper? Who cooked the last supper? Are you kidding me? Seriously? That is the name of the book. Yes. The name of Rosalind Miles' best-selling book actually is called I have not Cooked read this. Last I have supper. to find this book. Uh, yeah, I love the fact that it's, it's such an intriguing question in and of itself. Who Cooked the Last Supper? The Women's History of the World. That's the name of the book. And the reason that Rosalind Miles feels like if it had been a man who had cooked the last supper, we would probably all know True. the name of this person. That person might have even achieved sainthood or some level of very high recognition in the church itself. And because it was probably a woman who did it, we all are completely unaware of who this individual might have been in history in a very important pivotal moment in one of the largest religions on earth. And we do not know because you know, it might have been a woman. Now, this is a very pertinent one because it twice in my life, I've gone down a rabbit hole between the Last Supper and uh, the Holy Grail. Once was when I saw Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, right, in which the MacGuffin is the Holy Grail. And the second mm. time was after I read the Da Vinci Code. And then I went mm. back and read the Holy Blood, Holy Grail and all. And I mm. went through this kind of rabbit hole reading up all the theories and things and analysis of the painting to be honest, it never once occurred to me that somebody must have cooked the meal for them. Okay. This question was thanks to Rupesh. And once again, Rupesh, you have sent us a cracker of a question. Thank you so much. And yes, please and, keep uh, sending questions. And Aditya, thank Any... you for uh, gingerly hand-holding me towards the answer. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was a lovely piece of trivia. And I had to make sure that you got there because that would... Otherwise, we would not be doing justice to this great question. So, yay. All right, Vineet, your turn. Okay. So, in 1975, Roderick Thorpe saw the movie The Towering Inferno. The movie is about a skyscraper that catches fire. Later that night, with the plot of the movie fresh in his mind, Thorpe dreamt of a man being chased through a skyscraper. He converted that into a novel called Nothing Lasts Forever. Prior to this, Roderick Thorpe had written a novel in 1968 called The Detective, which was made into a movie in 1968 starring Frank Sinatra. So when the time came to adapt Nothing Lasts Forever into a movie, he wanted it to be a sequel to the movie The Detective, which was starring Frank Sinatra. The movie was supposed to take place four decades after the events of The Detective. So Sinatra by that time was of that age, so they approached him, but Sinatra said, no. The role, after being offered to some of the biggest action stars of the decade, went to a TV actor and the role catapulted him to fame. Which movie, which actor? The book's name is Nothing Lasts Forever. 
Yippee-ki-yay. <laughs> <laughs> I knew it. I could see that smirk on your face when I was reading out the question. And I knew you knew this. Yes, uh, elaborate and elucidate for our audience, Aditya. The reason I know this is because perhaps I've heard of this trivia slightly differently from what I okay. remember reading was that the producers were contractually obligated to ask Fayang Sinatra first. And okay. they did so out of that contractual obligation. And Frank Sinatra obviously turned the role down of John McClane, which went yes. to Bruce Willis. And that is how we have the iconic Die Hard. The best action movie of the 20th century, let's be honest. Oh, that's a bold claim to make. The best action movie. Yes. Okay, okay. Yeah. I mean, like, it is a flawless action movie. It's got great one-liners. It's got great practical effects. It's not CGI. Almost of all of it is practical effects. It's got a great charismatic lead. The action is practically non-stop from the beginning to the end. And like all great movies, it's set during a holiday. So it's a Christmas movie. It is a great Christmas movie that I would have to give to you. Yes. Yeah. So uh, to give a little bit of context, the original novel called The Detective, the first book that I was talking about, Rorberg, he created a detective by the name of Joe Leyland. So when he wrote the sequel book, which is Nothing Lasts Forever, he also featured Detective Joe Leyland. And instead of Nakatomi Plaza, it was the Klaxon Oil Corporation building. This role was offered to, uh, after Sinatra turned it down, it was offered to Arnold Schwarzenegger. It was offered to Sylvester Stallone. And when they all turned it down, it went to an actor, a TV actor. Now, most people don't know this. Uh, you obviously may, but uh, most people don't know that Bruce Willis started off as a TV actor. He was a part of this brilliant show called Moonlighting, where he played a detective who was the front for Sybil Shepard's actual detective. The series was called Moonlighting. I remember watching it as a kid. And Bruce Willis got his break in that. But he was considered a TV actor. And his occasional forays into movies turned out to be flops. Until he took up Die Hard. And that changed his career forever. So this is interesting because there's a lot of fun trivia attached to Die Hard. And uh, I'm going to share a few and just do it. This is not a question. I'm not posing any questions here. Just sharing trivia, I remember. I know Bruce Willis donated John McLean's uh, undershirt to the Smithsonian Museum. So that iconic (laughs) undershirt that he's wearing has been donated. There is a very iconic scene between Bruce Willis and Alan Rickman when they first meet. And Uh uh, that is a completely improvised scene. And it was unrehearsed. Sorry, actually, it is not an improvised scene, but it is an unrehearsed scene. And they wanted to get more spontaneity out of the actors. Which apparently is also the case for another very iconic scene. Do you know which two screen legends for the first time when they met on screen were also actually interacting potentially ever in their lives as well? In Die Hard? No, not in Die Hard. Not in Die Hard. Okay, no, 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 no. Go off on your tangent. Come on, come on. Tell me, tell me. No, I'm saying, do you know which two other screen legends had never really spoken to each other properly till the time they were filming a scene which turns out to be one of the most iconic scenes in an action film as well? Is it? Okay, I'm going to guess. Is this uh, Michael Mann's Heat, Robert De Niro and Al Pacino? It is the cafe scene between Robert De Niro and Al Pacino. It was the first time that they were interacting properly, even personally. 
as themselves and of course as their characters filming the scene so that was one of the first oh, that, that, is, that is heat by the way uh, to my audience i mean like it's a 90s movie it i don't know i don't see it on many lists but it is a criminally underrated movie you have to watch it if not for the fact that robert de niro and al pacino and val kilmer in one movie It and apparently the uh, the there is a bank robbery scene and then there's a shootout by the robbers while they're trying to get away and i read somewhere that it is so accurate that certain police uh, departments actually use that as a training video hmm. to show how effectively yeah. to cover a retreat and one of the reasons it's so accurate is because they also used very authentic sounds so apparently the equipment yes. they used was very close to What I remember actually, watching that movie for the first time and when somebody would fire a bullet I could hear an echo and I was like why hmm. is this sounding like an echo but that's apparently what happens in a uh, like in a city like New York or somewhere where you have buildings lining up you have pop up this really loud sound it will echo off the buildings it's an amazing right. amazing movie amazing it movie. is great yeah well coming back to die hard though a couple of yeah. piece of trivia still that tickle my funny bone and bruce willis is considered that all american hero and he's mocked for it in the film by these quote unquote german terrorists turns out bruce yes. willis is actually more german than most of the other villains because alan rickman <laughs> obviously is english the other guy alexander gudnov was russian bruce willis was actually born in west germany to an american father and a german mother so i did not know that <laughs> there is that little connection he's half german Yeah and speaking of the villains do you know because you mentioned Bruce Willis being cast after his TV actor stint Alan Rickman was not quite sure that he wanted to play a villain because he had arrived in Hollywood <laughs> only 2 days earlier when he was cast for this <laughs> film as the main antagonist and he was sure that's how he wanted to make his Hollywood foray and he did struggle for quite a while to drop the villain typecast for many years because he did such a fantastic job obviously okay <laughs> So that was some Die Hard trivia to round up your very beautiful question about Die Hard. I love it. Nice, nice. And cracker, I had no idea Bruce Willis was half German. <laughs> well, it's a freebie for this episode, then I guess. All right. Speaking of things which are iconic, <laughs> very poor segue coming up. <laughs> okay. Have you heard of the Hawaiian Fashion Guild? I can confidently say this is the first time I'm hearing. those three words put together okay you know i've started asking this at the beginning of questions because there are so many questions that i would just give you those keywords and i already know you know the piece of trivia attached to it <laughs> so just and sure at the beginning of my question i hope no, no this is right. the first so, this will be a first i love that all right okay so hawaiian fashion guild as the name suggests is a fashion guild based in hawaii one of their famous outputs is what is called the aloha shirt The Aloha shirt, yes. also called a Hawaiian shirt, is a style of dress shirt which originated in Hawaii. They are usually collared and buttoned-down dress shirts, usually short-sleeved and made from printed fabric. They are traditionally worn untucked, but can be tucked into waist of trousers. They are worn casually or as an informal business attire in Hawaii, and it is pretty iconic of the Hawaiian culture. The Hawaiian Fashion Guild wanted to promote this back in 1962. what did they come up with that till today is still fairly prevalent in the world you know when you started asking this question 
I was fairly around 50% confident that this would be going towards Tom Selleck and Magnum PI because him and his Hawaiian t-shirts are iconic from the the TV show not the new TV show I'm talking about the one from the 80s but okay so this is the 60s the moment you said the 60s I was like okay crap this is something else it's something to promote the shirts right something's mm-hmm. done to promote the shirts mm-hmm. and it's some kind of commercials like hawaiian commercials always had people with no right it can't no. be something as simple as that you wouldn't ask me if it was that simple okay did they get some kind of ambassador or some celebrity to wear it let me actually rephrase the part of the question that you might have missed they started something or it initiated from 1962 which is still very commonplace in the world today so it isn't one single ad or one single celebrity appearance it isn't anything like that they started something and that is still common in the world today uh, is it like using hawaii as a film location and they have to have no, people no. wearing this in the background no something like <laughs> that, that is right? a very interesting guess but not the right guess okay what else could they do that can still be done today the 60s and now Wait, did they give free aloha t-shirt do they do you get a free aloha shirt when you go to hawaii i know when you land in hawaii they give you the the lei no that isn't the answer here okay you'll have to give me a clue so i'll just restate one thing that i already said it is prevalent across the world and now i'll give you a clue so hopefully that guides you a bit closer okay let's say that this might have lost its relevance or significance slightly since 2020 you say 2020 obviously it's covid yes. so it's lost its relevance post covid huh this practice has lost its relevance as much since covid i that actually confuses me a little more because when you say covid like what did people start doing once you got hit covid people started wearing masks but then this is your the us you're talking about so maybe people stopped wearing masks but <laughs> No, but in all fairness, so masks and hand washing, those are two major habits that changed during the COVID pandemic. So, and social distancing during the pandemic, that's also there. But then it wouldn't have lost its, because people have stopped social distancing now and stopped wearing masks as well. So, I am completely clueless here. You're actually not quite off the mark because, yes, social distancing has pretty much gone to the wayside mask wearing is also not very common anymore uh, hopefully hand washing still exists but uh, <laughs> yes, what is yeah. something that covid fundamentally changed in the way people lead their lives and i would say a, a privileged elite at least across the world and which is why i emphasize on across the world they lead their lives or they used to live their lives in a specific way that covid pretty much changed for a lot of us is it vacations to hawaii no Okay, let us actually be a little bit more specific. It has to do with office culture. Luau's, office luau's or something. They dig a pit no. and roast pork. No, I am <laughs> gone. I have. I'm out of guesses right now. You will just have to tell me what this is. You'll okay, just have no to worries. I will give you the answer then. We need the answer is casual Fridays. The concept of casual Wait, Fridays. Okay, 
<laughs> you do okay here's here's the thing when i was asking this question i was like vinith might not know about this cuz he works in a lab <laughs> i don't think he gets to have casual fridays the medical industry the healthcare industry we don't have casual anything <laughs> okay so for the rest of us who who can afford to not care so much about our attire whenever we go into work we have this concept of a casual friday and uh, if i'm in a minority here because i've also been in the tech space where it feels like they wear casual clothes all the time all so, the time yeah please, i will i will encourage our audience members to correct my notion of this and hit me hit us up and let us know but from what i understand a lot of corporate spaces on most days of the week you are supposed to wear proper formal attire or at least used to be the case till a few years ago and then on fridays you could wear slightly more business casual attire which is called casual fridays it started off with the hawaiian fashion guild when they were trying to promote the idea of wearing aloha wear or aloha shirts to work so shirt designers started coming up with more understated and reserved designs with subdued colors more suitable as office attire oh companies and government offices began allowing employees to wear aloha attire on friday the last work day of the week this was specifically in hawaii and aloha friday officially began in 1966 when the president of bank of hawaii started wearing aloha shirts to work on fridays that's when it officially began and uh, soon uh, this trend spread across the world across the corporate world and casual fridays became a very common place thing okay just out of curiosity is it like a thing in india as well uh, casual fridays i believe so yeah um, and you'll find this in more uh, traditional office spaces like a bank and government offices and again it's not really casual attire like you can't walk in with slippers and shorts and uh, singlet <laughs> this is a complete til for me this is a complete til for me but then yeah <laughs> i also like hawaiian shirt prints because i've always had this partiality towards magnum pi and uh, for those who know nuns don't work on sunday <laughs> if you know you know <laughs> yes so and i think that's all the time we have for today's episode we've had a heady mix of questions and uh, just straight up trivia before we end today's episode we have to ask aditya what his question is going to be for us for next week my question is going to be very simple vinith and the question i'm going to pose is if die hard was made in india what would be <laughs> a very significant dialogue that would have to be changed to fit the indian context and how would that be changed i that have many many queries on this question but we shall keep that for the next week for next week so let me now answer the question that i had asked at the beginning of the episode the audience question hopefully some of you may have guessed the answer but i'll repeat the question now geosmin is an organic compound that gives beetroots its taste it's also accountable for something people would experience more frequently during the first few weeks of the monsoon what else apart from the taste for beetroots does geosmin account for aditya do you have a guess only because you said the first few days of monsoon i'm guessing petrichor the yes. smell of the first fruits yes yes so geosmin literally means earthy smell as in if you may have heard uh, osmin so geo osmin is earthy smell so it is responsible for the smell of petrichor petrichor is the smell of earth just after the first fresh rains so yes 
and for those who did not know there is actually a perfume an attar called mitti ki khushboo which is available i believe from aditya's home state it's exclusively made there handmade which bottles up the smell so if you're interested you can search for it online and might be able to get a bottle so petricor is the first smell you get after the rains it's a beautiful smell and yes so that is what geosmin is responsible for so before we wind up again what is your pop culture recommendation for this week aditya i believe we did mention die hard a fair bit die hard also reminds me of the fact that a lovely actor that we recently lost matthew perry and uh, uh, there are some of his famous films the one with bruce willis is not bad the whole nine yards the whole 10 yards both of these good films both of them have been adapted by the way i believe unofficially into bollywood films as well i believe avara pagal diwana or diwane hue pagal one is like akshay kumar i don't remember what it is but yes yeah you're right it has uh, been adapted but i remember which movie decent films fun three to tango also fun but the one that i would recommend and it, it isn't one where uh, matthew perry is playing an outright funny guy or funny character is the ron clark story which is a made for tv film which is actually a pretty good film i would objectively say it is worth a watch regardless of whether you are a matthew perry fan or not but yeah a whole nine yards whole 10 yards if you just want to remember matthew perry and his legacy to entertainment you can watch those films as well apart from watching friends that's my recommendation my recommendation for this week is a little obscure you may find it a little difficult but if you search you may get it so i don't know how many of you have read or are aware of a series of detective novels by an author called pd james the detective being adam dalglish so there is a recent tv series it's only two seasons young basically it's only two seasons young the next season expected sometime next year it called dalglish the series is called dalglish it's two seasons six episodes each uh, based off the novels of pd james but that's not why because there are a hundred such adaptations and tv detectives that you can see everywhere why you should watch this is for the actor bertie carwell the guy who portrays adam dalglish it is a masterclass performance he portrays the character and the moment you watch the show the character stands apart from any other and every other tv detective you've seen and it's just through pure acting it's just a brilliant a brilliant performance bertie carwell dalglish it might be difficult for you to get but by hook or crook watch it it's definitely worth watching it's very binge worthy but two seasons of six episodes each love that especially because yes. you said it's different from every other portrayal of a detective which is one of the most cliched characters in fiction so yes yeah, see the thing fun. is the reason i like the uh, the dalglish novels is because the detective here adam dalglish is a poet hmm and his affect and the way he approaches things is very calm very measured and get slightly enigmatic and uh, bertie carvel just embodies that character heart and soul i just loved it from the first 5 minutes he's on screen i was hooked so that's all for this episode ladies and gentlemen thank you all for listening in we hope you enjoyed the show and learned something new if you like what you heard please subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform so the moment you stop hearing this stop listening to this episode go to whichever platform you're listening if you're on spotify just subscribe to us 
you know, leave us a five-star review. It helps us reach a wider audience and allows more people to discover and enjoy the show. We'd also love to hear from you. Feedback, suggestions, and even trivia. If you're listening to us on Spotify, there is a suggestion question that's at the end uh, below the show notes. You can just go there. There's a question asking about the episode. You can give your honest answer and we'll take the feedback no matter what it is. Uh, you can send us questions. As you will notice, two people have already sent us questions for this episode. Similarly, if you have a question that you want to be asked on the podcast, just send us an email at me at gmail.com. Just please make sure to keep the name of the person you want to ask the question in the subject lines. You can reach us out on Instagram at Are You Quizzing Me. We appreciate your support and look forward to sharing more episodes with you in the future. Adya will be back after the musical sting with the fact check. Thanks again and to, for tuning in. And that's all from me. See you guys next week.